Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. How good to see each and every one of you. I'm so thankful to be back with you. The Lord has been good in this season, and uh, I'm going to take time in future weeks to share more about this past season for myself, for my family, my wife and I, and, and our family. But for today, I want to make sure that I say how good it is to be back with you. If you've begun to attend LifePoint in this in this last few months, you're like, who are you? And, uh, that's not really that important, but I'll introduce myself just um, so you have some frame of reference. My name's Lane Harrison. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here at LifePoint, and uh, I've been out uh, for most of the last um, several months on sabbatical, and um, a very generous church offered me a very generous gift. <clears throat> Sorry, I had a frog in my throat, and I'm thankful for that. More about that later. Take your Bible and open to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. While you're turning there, a couple of very important things to note for the mission of our church. First of all, since Wednesday, we've been in uh, our season of equipping, our equipping of our leaders and our servants in our different disciple-making ministries throughout the church. Hundreds of person hours invested in training. So thankful for that. We'll culminate that tonight at a conclave at five o'clock with dinner and then a time of, of final preparations before we launch into this next season of ministry. At 6.30, we will gather with the whole church in this room. And I want to invite you to come. We'll gather around the Lord's table. We'll receive the Lord's Supper together. Uh, we will pray for our season of ministry that is upcoming and uh, just be able to share with you uh, the whole church uh, just uh, some of the things that God is doing and leading us in. So, Nights of worship are a great time for you to see the church in a separate setting, in a very similar way, but a separate setting. Another opportunity to get to meet, to talk, and fellowship with people. I promise you will walk away encouraged. And so I want to encourage you to join us at 6.30 in this room tonight. All right, I want to talk to you this morning about following Jesus, a heart full of God's treasure. Following Jesus. Jesus. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13, verses 51 through 58. And uh, while you're already turned there, so I don't have to tell you to do that again, let me begin with a question, though. A question that will center many of our thoughts and understanding for today. And the question is this What's filled your heart this week? What's filled your heart this week? Life has a way of filling us, doesn't it? Sometimes with things we enjoy and sometimes with. Uh, Lessons we're learning. I'll leave it at that. What's filling you this week? Maybe it's the activities of the week. Maybe you've had a busy week or maybe it's been a slow week, but that's filled you. That's good too. The interactions you've had, the conversations you've had. Isn't it interesting how sometimes even just in passing, someone can say something to us and man, it sticks. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it sticks, right? I mean, that, that's just the way it is. News we received, goals that we've achieved or reached or otherwise. These are the kinds of things that fill our heart 
And sometimes it's to overflowing and sometimes it's just to being full. I remember uh, the first semester I was in seminary, um, the Lord in my devotion time had prompted me to take Proverbs 4.23, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life, or put it on a little card and just stick it on the dash of my truck. I, I didn't really know anything more than that, but every day when I got in my truck, I'd go to school, I'd go to work, go home, whatever, whatever I was doing, I, I, that'd be the first thing I would look at. <clears throat> Anytime I saw a police officer, that'd be the first thing I'd look at because it was right down there by my uh, 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 speedometer. And, and that, that verse became for me uh, very instructive and, and helpful and encouraging. Above all else, guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life. And I often ask, I wonder why this is such a verse that God would just want me to memorize it and just keep returning to it. And of course, in subsequent years following, I've learned because what's filling your heart is so important and we are to guard our hearts to make sure that what is filling it is what is from the Lord himself today I want you to walk away with this that Christ followers live by faith from the treasure of God's eternal wisdom to obey and make Jesus known to all people the treasure of God's eternal wisdom Let's go to Matthew chapter 13. I'll begin reading in verse 51. <clears throat> I'll read through the end of the chapter before we continue. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. Matthew concludes this section of his teachings through parables from Jesus with a question from Jesus, seems like a simple question, does it not? Do you understand? Do you understand? After explaining all the parables that he had taught to them, and, and then Jesus went on to explain why and how it was that he used parables to teach, he's actually responding to a plea for help from verse 36 that they had said to him, would you help us understand, Lord? So it would be natural for him to find a moment where he would pause and ask, do you understand? And of course, immediately it says, they said to him, yes. Yes. And you can hear the yes kind of wash over the crowd of all of those who were with him in that moment. And surely they did understand in a general sense. I mean, they'd been around him enough to kind of pick up on his communication cues and the nuances of the way he was speaking. And, 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 and they had a basic understanding, but so much more was being taken 
care of here. For even as Jesus taught in the parable of the mustard seed, their understanding would grow and it would deepen and their faith would increase because that's what God's word does. But Jesus' next statement, verse 52, there's a lot more to understand here than I know they understood initially. It says this, look again with me at verse 52. Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Now, I want to consider Jesus' words for a moment before we consider the impact of those words. Look at what he said. Every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven. And we know that he was attaching this statement, this analogy he's making, immediately to the people he just spoke to because the word therefore tells us that he's saying what he's saying because of what he had just said. And so he says this, a scribe. A scribe. Now, here's what we know about a scribe from the New Testament. A scribe was a very highly honored role in the New Testament. It wasn't just a paper pusher. It wasn't just a record keeper. But it was a very highly honored position. Scribes were charged to record and copy the sacred text. These were highly educated people, specifically in the literary arts. Many of them spoke more than one language. They were extensively trained in the role that they were keeping. Everything wasn't just put onto the internet and photocopied at will in that day. What copies they had, they had because the scribes had made them. Their work demanded exactness. The highest precision because they were preparing manuscripts for the public reading of scripture in worship. They were preparing the manuscripts from which people would teach and preach in their worship services. And they were preparing the manuscripts that would be duplicated to be carried out in other places. Scribes were known to work very long, hard hours and usually in isolation. They needed a place to not be disturbed. They didn't hang out in coffee shops, you know, where everything else is going on. They were under intense pressure because they were handling God's word. Get this right, man. I mean, you know, that's a lot of pressure. And in a role that was so unique, very often it was demanded that the very pattern of their life be very distinct because that's the only way they could accommodate the challenge and the work that they had been given. But here's what's most interesting to me in this verse and why there's such a a gap between verse 51 and 52. The disciples did not see themselves as scribes. (laughs) These are fishermen. They're not highly educated, except in the ways of fishing, right? These are tax collectors, and sometimes we compare tax collectors to accountants, but let's be honest, that's not what tax collectors were in the first century. They knew how to count pennies, but they knew how to count pennies because they had become very accustomed to collecting them. That's what they excelled in. And so we're looking at a group that's arguably ragtag, uneducated, and in every sense of the word, mostly untrained. And Jesus said, you're scribes. (laughs) It didn't surprise anyone more than it did the 12 disciples. But Jesus said, you're scribes not just for anything, but for the kingdom of heaven. 
Jesus identifies them as scribes, those who've been trained distinctively for the kingdom of heaven. And what it is that they are receiving from him, his teaching, his ministry, and the things that he had done were given to them of highest value and intended that they might transmit them to others. We know this, that if one of the disciples was to become an apostle, capital A, that would end up being a human author of the New Testament, that kind of thing. One of the three qualifications is that they had to spend time with Jesus to be directly, personally called from him to that apostleship in order to be qualified to be an author of a book of the Bible. That was one of the qualifications for authorship that was placed on them. And so that's very much of the training that Jesus is appealing to in this verse. But you see, he's saying this. It's far more fundamental to to every one of our lives than sometimes we want to admit The disciples' role, the follower of Jesus and their role is to apply their life to know Jesus and to advance the message of his kingdom. That's our role as a disciple. The message of his kingdom is the truth of God in his word. It's the whole counsel of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is the greatest treasure for all of life of knowing God and making him Known And so Jesus takes their role as a scribe of the kingdom of heaven and he makes an analogy to emphasize the importance of that role. And that analogy is this. Being a scribe of the kingdom of heaven is like being the master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. So here, he's not only said what they are as scribes, but now he's talking about the role and the importance of it. You see, the role of a scribe of the kingdom of heaven was to study, was to learn, to copy, to duplicate, reproduce the very treasures of the eternal wisdom of God in the scriptures that they might create a storehouse from which they could draw to supply in teaching, in ministry, and in encouragement for all who would be in need. For in this analogy, the master of a house had an incredible responsibility. He was responsible for everyone that had anything to do with his household. So if they were family or friends that lived, very often uh, the people who would live in a house in that day and time would not only family, but they would have other people that would live in a home with them. He was responsible for their well-being. The people who worked in, uh, according to their household, if they owned a farm or if they owned things of that nature, he was responsible for all of those people. He had to make payroll. He had to make sure that the family was provided for. He had to make sure that the storehouse had enough in it for this season, but was putting enough in it for the next season because not every season is harvest. That's a good lesson we could learn today. That's for another day, though. This was the responsibility. He's teaching them that as scribes of the kingdom, they have an immense responsibility for, but to be generous with the readily sharing of what's been stored in their treasure house. And so all that they've placed in that storehouse, both the old and the new, and I believe Jesus is telling us the relationship between what we would consider the old and the new testament today Because if you remember in first century, there was no New Testament. It was being lived out and written in real time. 
But one of the greatest conflicts was, is Christianity a refutation of Judaism and all that's come before, or is it something completely different and, and, and building from? And you see, the biggest problems Jesus has with people in the New Testament is not from Satan himself, it's from the religious elite. Because they had taken the Old Testament and made it to be something God never intended it to be. It's interesting how we do that today still. Well, I'm a New Testament Christian. I don't have any need for the Old Testament. Those things don't apply to me. Jesus says, baloney. Yes, it does. For this is the eternal wisdom of God. His whole counsel given to us. It is to be rightly handled To rightly divide the word of truth, Paul instructs a young Timothy in the New Testament. This is what Jesus is training his disciples in, to faithfully serve the kingdom of heaven by living their life to share the treasure of his eternal truth with all people. And so I want to pause here for a moment because I think it's a good time for us to do that and ask you a question. Do you understand? Do you understand? What Jesus is saying, not only to his disciples in this day, but to disciples of every day. I pray it sounds familiar to those of you who are covenant members at LifePoint because this passage is amplifying a portion of the centrality of our vision and mission in a church. You see, real Christ followers are disciples who are actively engaged in building a storehouse of God's eternal truth from which we live in relationship and obedience to God. And and if you attend our Navigation Covenant Membership Seminar, you'll learn this, that one of the four aspects of our identity because of Jesus Christ is that we become disciples of Him who are learning and following him and our mind is being renewed by the truth of his word and it is taking root in our heart and it is transforming us just as second corinthians says the old is gone the new has come by god's grace i am not what i was and by god's grace i'm not what i shall be but i'm getting there that's what it means to be a disciple That we are learning and following, obeying his revelation to us through his scriptures. But the treasure that we are treasuring up in our heart and in our mind and in our whole life is not just for us, but it is to be intentionally shared with others with a generosity that is lavished upon them. You see, that's why we teach also that every Christ follower who is a disciple is also charged and commissioned with the transferring of the glory of the truth of God's word to the whole world. We call them missionaries. Our whole life is lived that we might share this message of God's truth with all people of the world. And that's what Jesus is laying a foundation for here. This passage is foundational for our understanding both of our identity in Christ and also our commission from Jesus himself. The labor of his kingdom, friends, is not reserved for a few select, highly educated, trained, skilled individuals. The labor of the kingdom is for every follower of Jesus. Making disciples is the commission of every Christ follower to live for Jesus' kingdom, making him known as we are being made into his likeness. And so when we reckon with Jesus' analogy, 
makes that little question that seems so easy at our first response so much more weighty now and impactful. Do you understand? Well, I want to say yes, right? And what Matthew begins to do here is to conclude this section of training by parables in Jesus' teaching by taking a literary format and combining two things to make very clear that we understand not only our identity in Christ as his follower and our commission, but to show us the other option as well. You see, his disciples weren't the only people that were near to Jesus. You can be near to Jesus and treasure him with all your heart and be a faithful follower of him. But those aren't the only people that are near to Jesus. There's another kind of person that's near to him. And that's what Matthew does here. He emphasizes this with a contradistinction. Are you impressed? Contradistinction. It's not a word I created, but it is a word that I learned this week and said, I've got to use this. I've got to use this. Now, some of you who know me well know that sometimes I just create words. And people go, that's not a word. And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I used it, you heard it, yes. Did you understand what I meant by it? Yes, then it is a word, we can use it. But this is actually a word. I got it on my little app this week. It came through on Daily Word. And and I thought, as I was studying, I thought, wow, I've learned a new word. I gotta use that. Contradistinction. The purpose of a contradistinction is to bring a contrast between two items that distinguishes each one from the other. And that's what Matthew's doing here. You see, we're in a shift between chapters 13 and 14 and where he's headed. We're coming out of this series of teaching the parables and we're moving into a different phase of the gospel revelation taking place. And what Matthew wants to be very clear to all of his readers is this, that you know the difference between what it means to be a real Christ follower of Jesus and what it means to be a fake. Look at what he said in verse 40, or 53, excuse me. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there. And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Notice what they recognized, his wisdom and his mighty works. Don't forget that, that's important. Remember those two things. Verse 55 Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Didn't he go to high school with us? I mean, that's the kind of thing we're running through. He lived the street over, didn't he? He played on the other team when we got together in neighborhoods and played wiffle ball. Okay, track with me here. That's, That's Lane's free interpretation of these verses, okay? I'm just trying to make it relevant to us and and understandable for us. It says, where did this man get all these things? Again, reinforcing what they recognize of him, his wisdom and his mighty deeds. And then verse 57 says something, and they took offense at him. Well, that turned quickly. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. That's quite a contrast, wouldn't you say? 
And the contrast distinguishes for us something that we didn't see in the previous verse, but we need to understand because of it. He contrasts Jesus' disciples, people who were radically living different lives that had been changed because of the message they had heard and the faith that they had put in him and the way that he was changing them. And he contrasts them against those who knew him so well and for so long from his own hometown, but how they failed to receive him. And in contrast to a storehouse of treasure that the first group considered him to be, this group took offense. And it tells us that they knew that they didn't believe because God was not able to do any mighty works among them. Now, surely not every person, 100%, but most but most, it was the prevailing ideology and disposition towards Jesus to be so familiar with him that what they had already admitted about him couldn't be true because of what they claimed to already know of him. You see, the people in Jesus' hometown didn't experience the power of God in or around their lives. Why? Because of their unbelief. That's what Jesus tells us, what Matthew records here. Look at how they responded, their reaction to him. They were astonished. They recognized that his teaching was different. It causes us to ask, how could they not believe? I mean, if I saw that in front of me today, there's no way I wouldn't believe in Jesus. We're very quick to go there, aren't we? But be careful. Be careful. When you ask, how could they not believe? Because the answer is simply found in this. It's the way they perceive Jesus. They recognized his wisdom and his mighty works. Those were undeniable. You couldn't deny them. But here's what they did. They did dismiss him. Oh, this couldn't be. It's too good to be true. And instead of consulting the word of God that they did have, whose prophets had foretold over and over again what his message would be and what his works would do, instead of asking God, could this be the one you've promised? They just said, no, it couldn't be. We know him. They dismissed him. They not only dismissed him, but they reduced him. They made Jesus to be like them instead of considering how it was. He was like God. In other words, they didn't consider the word of God that they did have because there was no faith in it to begin with. If they had believed in God's word more than just lip service and not heart Uh, uh, heart rejection they would have considered do the things that he says and the works that he done align with the word that God has given to us and if it does then we must believe who he is they just said no he's from our hometown he can't be they knew him too well to accept anything of him other than the way they already understood him Instead of what he claimed and who he proved to be. Hear me, friends. Familiarity from what was visible and known blinded them to God's divine revelation to them. That should cause us to shake in our bones, friends. You see, I know some of you likely walked through the church door today for the first time or one of the maybe one of the first times in a very long time 
and you're wondering, does God care about me? Does God love me? Is there anything of value in this place for me today? And let me just say to you, I could not be more honored that you would give an hour of your life to join with us. And my prayer for you is this, that whether you agree with us or not, whether or not you like everything about what we do or the way we do, all of those things matter, but before we get to that, that you'd not be able to walk away without knowing and believing in your heart. You know, those people were some of the kindest people I've ever met. I don't know them, but at least they expressed a genuine care and concern for me. And if we didn't do that, we failed. And I apologize, give us one more chance. But I hope you find that today. But listen to me, some of you are here today You've been walking in the church doors all your life. You're as familiar with church. You don't ever find a church that seems unfamiliar to you because, well, you know how to do church. You just walk right in there like you own the place and everybody else will act like you do as well, right? You've heard so many sermons, you've forgotten more than you'll ever remember. It's familiar to you. It's not even uncomfortable to you anymore. You are the person that should be most warned about this passage right now, as I am. Because we are the ones who stand with the greatest temptation to dismiss, if not all, the aspects of God's word that we can so easily reduce or make something other than because of our familiarity with everything that surrounds him. You see, unbelief of the heart always values what is seen over what is unseen. Unbelief in the heart always values more highly what is already known instead of what God wants to reveal. Unbelief in the heart always values more highly what is explainable, comprehensible, over what is incomprehensible. And unbelief in the heart always wants to value what is controllable over what is inconceivable. Even though we know the promise of Jesus for us is that he will do unimaginably more than we would dare to conceive. Their response in Jesus' hometown was rooted in the fact that they did not believe God and they just simply found Jesus too familiar to be anything other and so they wouldn't trust in him so instead of treasuring him they took offense and here's the contrast we have people who are living their life to treasure Jesus and we have people who are living their life taking offense at Jesus Friends, I propose to you today, those are the two options. There is no in-between. For you to walk away today and go, I'll see if I can deal with it tomorrow or next week, is to take offense ultimately. That's not the way the gospel works. That's not the way that God's revelation. You take it for your consideration. Let me know what you like. And then give me any edits that you feel are important. You see the contrast of responses draws a clear distinction of the heart that believes. Versus the heart 
that does not. And believe always means that faith is exercised for God's word to be lived out. That's why believe is to be lived out. That's what it's all about. And so often we get in churchianity and and Christendom and we get in this bubble where we think we can just intellectually ascend to it and agree with it and be okay and nod and say yes when everybody else said yes. Yes, I understand. And we can walk out the door unchanged. But the problem is this, you're going to be offended by Jesus because when nothing changes and what you need to get changed, you're going to blame it on him. And you're going to be offended by him. Believing is not limiting simply to accepting data, but it is applying truth to life to see the transformation take place that comes only from God. These people were not Jesus' disciples because they had been educated into it, because they had been elevated into it. They were Jesus' disciples because they had been transformed into it. And what he said of them, they struggled to believe about them, but they didn't argue. Until God's word is lived out, faith is not active. Obedience is not possible because you've not yet believed according to the Bible. Friends, we're not talking about perfection. We're talking about effort. We get this confused a lot in the Christian world that, well, effort is wrong. The Bible's against effort. The gospel is against effort. No, it's not. The gospel shatters earning, not effort. It's interesting how we'll create double standards, isn't it? Take, for instance, a little baby. I mean, there's nothing more precious in the whole world. Man, we had a lot of them this summer, and I'm having to do double time to catch up. You know, there's cheeks to be squeezed. There's little tubby arms to be held. I mean, it's, you gotta, you gotta work fast around here. And when those little babies, one day you're gonna climb up on their knees and you go, oh, they're crawling. That's so beautiful, yay. And then one day they're gonna go from their knees to their feet and they're gonna stumble around and they're gonna be shaky legged and all kinds of things and they're gonna pick a foot up and they're not gonna get to set that foot down before they fall down but mom or dad are gonna go, probably grandparents to be quite honest. They're walking. You could no more use evidence of what just happened to validate that that was actually walking but unless you saw it through a grandparent's eyes, right? But that's what they're doing. When you take your first step, you don't get it right every time, right? When you take that first step, you're probably going to fall down, but you're going to get back up and keep going. Why? Because that's what you're supposed to do. That's how it is here, friends. When you believe, we're not talking about perfection with the first effort, but we are talking about walking towards Christ. There's a great silence between verse 51 and 52 when Jesus says, do you understand? And they say, yes. Are you sure? I mean, it's not a silence of judgment. It's a silence of gravity. It's a silence of of impact to understand how deeply Jesus is speaking to us here. The, The claim quickly made immediately holds more weight than likely we first considered. But this weighty silence is is what you and I should take consideration of for our lives today. For the distinction that Matthew has made by the contrast that he has drawn reveals a life of faith that is defined by a heart that believes. And every follower of Jesus lives 
by faith. For without faith, it is what? Impossible to please God. I want to offer to you three qualities that distinguish a real heart of faith. And I'm going to do this quickly. So I'm going to ask you to listen quickly. Three qualities that distinguish a real heart of faith. Quality number one is a heart that treasures every word of God for life. A heart that treasures every word of God for life. To treasure means to recognize the value which fuels a further desire for understanding that we might believe fully. There's so often... I'll read something in devotion time or in, in my study time and I'll, I'll get the surface level meaning of it. But the longer I linger, the more deeply it penetrates into my heart and life. And then it gets personal. You know what I'm saying? I start out reading the word of God. If I stay there long enough, the word of God ends up reading me. That's how the spirit of God works. Speaking to our heart and to our life. You see, the one who pursues greater understanding is nurturing the seed that is being sown by the eternal treasure and truth of God to grow faith into full obedience. You see, Christian faith is not an ignorant faith. It's an informed faith. That's what Jesus taught with the mustard seed. It may be one of the smallest seeds of all seeds, but the way it will grow when it finds good soil is that it will not only produce a supply for the one in whom it grows, but it will live to be a blessing for others who take refuge in its shade, in its, in its branches, and in its goodness. You see, believe is distinguished by the way one receives God's word. We listen, we seek to understand, we desire to obey as our source and our direction for all of life. Believing something about God's word is simply useless if what is claimed to be believed is not trusted in order to be put into action. What is that? When you do that, you fail to treasure Jesus and you will end up taking offense at him. Because you'll walk through the process. Oh, wait a minute. Does he understand the world I live in today? That was written 2,000 years ago. I don't think Jesus understands how people think today. He doesn't understand the pressures that I'm facing at work and the ramifications if I actually took a stand for him and tried to bear a faithful testimony there. Does Jesus really know what we're facing today? And on and on, you'll begin to ask those questions just like they ask in these verses. You'll dismiss him, you'll reduce him until you're offended by him because of unbelief. If you want to experience the power of God in and through your life, you must believe. Believe to obey, and that's what it means to understand. The heart of faith is distinguished by taking understanding Jesus gives and obeying for his glory. I can remember as a kid, one of the last things my dad would ask me when we were having some of those intimate father-son moments, he would say, do you understand? And while I wasn't always going to walk away and do what he asked or told, I understood we were going to be back in this room pretty quick because of what I'd already intended and confirmed in my heart. And we did. We returned very often to have those good father-son talks. Let me ask you this question to help you discern for your life. Is God's word a treasure trove for you or is it a trinket box? Are you trying to define all of life by your understanding of God's word and spirit's revelation to you? Are you just trying to fix problems as they come up so you can move on and get on with the life that you want to live? 
Friends, if you're not treasuring Jesus, it's just a matter of time before you take offense by him. The second quality is a heart that generously shares God's blessing of the eternal treasures with others. Jesus says that a Christ follower is not simply collecting knowledge about God, but we're storing it up to bring it out. That verb for bring out has a thrusting action with intentionality. We are bringing it out because we want others to know what God has revealed to us in his word and what is for them and how God wants to work in their life. We're sharing the treasures of our heart. And is that not the most natural response? To talk about what's filling your heart with joy and with gladness and what you're seeing in life. I mean, this is the essence of the faithful testimony for a Christian. That that we share a problem or a sin that we've become entangled with. And and we talk about how God revealed in his word that, that, that this was a problem or this was a sin. And we had to come to confess that or agree with God over that. But since that, God had begun to do a work in our heart in helping us understand how we can turn from self and idolatry and unrighteousness and sinfulness and how we can walk in the light of the glory of his truth and now that I've begun to trust God in this it's not a perfect walk but every day that I trust him and I obey him I'm learning more about him I'm learning more about me and I'm telling you I'm becoming a different person that's a faithful testimony friends the heart always naturally shares what it treasures Because it recognizes that treasure as a source of strength that is providing for all of life. And the Christ follower shares what is understood of God because the heart treasures Jesus above all else and his power working mightily in their life. Let me ask you this, friends. Are you sharing the treasure of your relationship with Jesus with other people? Are you mining the depths of his eternal wisdom for your life? Because wisdom isn't just an answer to a question or a solution to a problem. Wisdom is the eternal power and glory of the ages that is controlling all things for eternity. The third quality is this. It's a heart that is committed for all to know the riches of the kingdom by knowing the treasure of the king. By knowing the treasure of of the king. The kingdom scribe understands that what God is doing in me, what God is writing on my heart, what I am recording and what I am storing away is not just for me. I need to share this with other people because God wants to use me and testimony of my life and what he's done to invite others to come into a personal relationship with him. And you do that in such a way so that You can be in places with people to share that testimony with. Let me ask you this question. Is your whole life being oriented around the treasure of Jesus Christ so that you can make him known to other people who can come to know how he's making you more into his image? Christ followers live by faith from the treasure of God's eternal wisdom. To obey and make Jesus known to all people. Friends, do you understand? Do you understand?